the second last chapter of Joshua, and we'll be reading the entire chapter. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all those nations for your sake. It was the Lord who, your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these, these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil that he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. The title on your talk you'll notice in the bulletin outline says, Be Alert But Not Alarmed. That's how I spend most of my life. <laughs> um, before we handle this passage, which was read before, Tim did a good job of reading it and I'm glad he said what he did at the end. Some uh, serious words there at the end. That picks up the tone of it, doesn't it? Let's, so let's pray now and um, get ready to approach this passage from Joshua. Our Lord, we do thank you for this time we share together now. And we pray that you'd help us to uh, cast our minds into your word and to understand it more. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to respond in the right way to this uh, passage in Joshua. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a small confession to make. It's not a large one. Uh, and uh, that is, I quite enjoy watching the ABC News. 
There you go. I've said it now, it's out there, and uh, you can wind me up about that over morning tea time. They claim to be objective in their approach to news, which is quite refreshing, especially when you compare it to some of the, the channels with the ads on them. Um, but I've noticed that even the objective ABC seems to have succumbed to this trend of wanting to put a feel-good story on at the end of their program. I mean, I used to watch it and think that was what the, the other stations did. They had their feel-good story, but then I noticed even the ABC was doing it. Now, you understand what I mean by a feel-good story, I hope. It's where you, you've just witnessed some serious news events, but by the end of the program, uh, they say, and, and now this, there's a, a story about a little kitty cat that's been caught in a tree, and a lovely fireman's come and put his ladder up, and he's, he's got the little kitty cat down and, and passed it back to the little boy or girl who's lost it. And so we, uh, we watch that and we think, thank goodness for that feel-good feel story. Now I can just relax and sort of get on with my life. Well, listen to what one commentator says about that kind of thing. He says, There is no murder so brutal, no earthquake so devastating, no political blunder so costly that it can't be erased from our minds by a newscaster saying, now this, and then turning to a story, a feel-good story about something like a cat being lifted out of a tree by a fireman. Well, I want to suggest that even if the ABC ends its programs with a nice feel-good story, I think God's Word's a bit more interested in giving us truth rather than just entertaining us. Did you notice when Tim read that Bible reading at the end of the passage, uh, we could see that there was a tone of being cautious. It wasn't about erasing the warnings from our minds uh, and helping us just to feel good about life or, or the people back then. We see that truth's more important than just being entertained. Having said that, I'm, I'm all for entertainment, but there's still a time where we've just got to face the truth. And that's what we see this morning, a tone of being, what I'm saying, alert but, but not alarmed. Okay, well it wasn't just a political slogan, I think there's a, there's a sense in which we can appreciate that, that kind of approach to life. Well Israel has been on a journey uh, to the good land, they've moved from an exodus in Egypt to the good land, they've come to terms with life without Moses, Moses has died, he's passed on them to the, the message of Deuteronomy and now they've, they've lived under the leadership of Joshua, uh, but it's the end of the line for Joshua as well. And that's what we start to see at the end of the book of Joshua, three addresses. Last week we saw him address the tribes who are going to settle in the east. Today we see that Joshua is speaking to the people through the leadership. And then last week we get, uh, next week rather, we get Joshua's final words before he's about to die. And these are solemn words, they're... They're the words that we, we should be tuning into. Someone's final words are, are rarely just trivial. Closing speeches tend to be focusing on the important things. And Joshua starts to speak about the changing of the guard now. And so he's giving his attention to the people, but through the leaders. We'll pick it up in chapter uh, 23, verse 1. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges 
and officials and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Well, Joshua was letting him know that even though it's not going to be long before he leaves the scene, at one level, that's okay. Because he's saying they've seen what God has done. They've seen that although they've carried on the struggle, they've waged the war, it's been God who's been the one who's given the victories. And so he's reminding them to keep their confidence in the right place. Their confidence, even though he's going, isn't in him as a leader. Their confidence should be in the Lord God. Now, confidence is an interesting thing, isn't it? It seems to go with being calm, uh, not feeling too fearful or terrified. But it's got to be built on the right things. And at the end of the verse 3, we see it was the Lord your God who fought for you. And the point is that confidence has got to rest in the right place. Now, likewise, as Christians, um, we've also got to remember where our confidence should lie as well. At youth group, uh, the young people sing, build on the rock, the rock that ever stands. Build on the rock and not upon the sands. You'll never fear the storm or the earthquake. Uh, clap, I think we sing. You're safe forevermore if you build on the rock. Now, that's, that's actually simply coming straight from the Bible, isn't it? Coming from the, the teaching of Jesus, who says the wise person is the one who hears his words, does what he says, and they're the ones who build on him. They're the wise person. And our confidence as Christians needs to be founded on Jesus and what he's done for us. So the people in the past, they had to trust in the Lord. We trust in the Lord but made known through our Lord Jesus. Well, the reason why they can have confidence in God is because uh, God has given them the conquest, he has done it, and he's going to continue to do it. If you pick up the verses in verse 4, I'll read that section. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Here we note that the conquest of the land has actually happened. God's taken them, we know he's delivered it. And yet there's still the tension that, of pockets of resistance that remain. There's still nations that need to be driven out. And the people are required to uh, get themselves organised to do that job. And we're told that God will be the one who gives them the victory. Now, they might not have liked that idea that they still had, if you like, some work to do, uh, but that's the character of what, what situation they're in. They, they proceed, though, with faith in the knowledge that even though they've got a wage war, God's the one who's still going to do it. Now, as Christians, um, we need to recognise that there's, there's a tension that we experience as well. They experienced uh, the fact that they were given conquest, but there were still problems. We experience the fact that we're saved, but we still experience struggles in this age. We accept that there are limits to this age. Uh, even as Christians, although we've been saved, we bump up against many hardships, different kinds of pain, physical, emotional and mental. 
And this age is compared to um, being something that falls short of what's to come. Paul describes this age as being like life in the tent compared to being in a better dwelling. Now, I've done a bit of camping over my time and I enjoy getting out in the woods with um, family and friends. But I must say, uh, being in a, in a tent that sometimes leaks or having a, a nice thin little bit of uh, mattress to sleep on a hard ground, uh, it's, it's one thing to camp in a tent and have a good time, but it's still another thing to come back home, isn't it, to a comfy, squashy bed and a roof that doesn't leak. Well, let's hear what Paul says about uh, our lives before being clothed or put in a, in a better dwelling at the end. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Whilst the Israelites had to deal with their frustrations or challenges of still clearing the land, in our experience of salvation, yes, we are saved, but we still look forward to being uh, in a different kind of dwelling at the end, where our mortal lives will be swallowed up by the life to come. And so with that worldview, uh, we, we proceed, we live confident that God, God's grace is sufficient for us in this age uh, and he'll help us get by until that final dwelling is the one we dwell in. Well now, how are the people to live in this time after Joshua? When Joshua goes, uh, how are they to get by? Well, in point three of the outline, you'll notice I've said, be alert. From verses 6 to 11, their challenge is to stay on the straight and narrow. Let me read some of that. Verse 6, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you and do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. And so for Israel, the message is clear. They've got to stay on the straight and narrow. Uh, they've been given God's good law, the book of the covenant to live by. And Moses handed down that challenge to them that they, they understood what they needed to do. This is what Moses said. Now, what I'm commanding you today is, is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. It's not as though the people of Israel uh, didn't know what to do. They did. The difficulty lie in submitting to the kingship of God and not flirting with sin, but seeking to be allied to God, be faithful to God. It's not as though they didn't understand. Their problem was they were attracted to some of the fertility uh, promised by other gods and the nations that were in the land. Their problem was they were, their risk was being seduced away from clinging to the Lord in faithfulness. 
the inhabitants of the land were involved in the worship of the storm god Baal. And this is a little bit freaky, but he supposedly has a spouse sister who's called Anat. And she's identified with the goddess Ashtada and Ashtoreth. And apparently there was a fertility cycle that um, was bound up with worshipping those gods, which involved fertility rites and ceremonial prostitution. This idea that uh, somehow the rains would come, the storms would come, uh, you know, the lambs would, have, would, would come into the world, there would be, be crops, this kind of thing. And worship involved fertility rites. Apparently there were terracotta figurines of Ashtoreth that had been unearthed throughout the Promised Land that represented a naked woman with exaggerated sexual features. This is what one commentator said about the, um, the, their religion. With its sordid and debased nature, that stood in marked contrast to the high ethical ideals of Israel. The absolute lack of moral character in the Canaanite deities made such practices as ritual prostitution, child sacrifice and licentious worship the normal expressions of religious devotion and fervour. In consequence, there could be no compromise between the morality of the God of Israel and the debased sensuality of Canaanite religion. Well, the people were challenged to stay on the straight and narrow as they're encouraged by Joshua. It's not as though they didn't understand uh, what they had to do as God's people. Their difficulty lie in flirting with sin. In fact, trying to get somebody to one of those seeker services might have been a bit easier than getting them to a, a service to come and serve the living and true God. But as far as we're concerned in the New Testament, we're still faced with a similar challenge. And that is the challenge to put to death sin and to seek to live as God's holy people in this age now. Uh, our challenge is to, to put the things of our old ways behind us and to live the new life that God's called us to. In fact, uh, Paul talks about Christians being a new creation. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. It's quite, quite exciting to think about it. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting men's sins against them. What Paul's saying is since, since we're a new creation in Christ, we've got to, in a sense, live up to that new name, live up to that new calling. And now's not to the time to live like the world with no sorrow for sin. It's not the time to be flirting with sin, but, but saying, look, those, those are the things of the past that we're, we're trying to put away. Instead, we've got to be uh, more like Joshua's uh, people trying to walk on the straight and narrow, living according to how God wants us to live. Well, the people in Joshua's time had to recognise what God had done. In verses 9, we'll pick it up there, 9 to 11. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. 
Well, there was comfort for the people as they looked back on what God had done for them. Certainly they engaged in the struggle, but they could see that it was God who actually gave the victory. So they could be comforted to know that God was with them. And there's comfort for us too as we look back at what God has done for us as well. As Christians, we face different kinds of enemies. I'm not, I haven't been involved with a struggle against any uh, Canaanites or Perizzites, Vegemites or Marmites or whatever else. Um, the struggle that we face is against sin and temptation, against Satan. Uh, and we're told that we can look back on what Jesus has done for us to actually give us victory over the forces of evil, the shadowy forces. In Colossians, Paul says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so as we look back on what's been done for us, we can find a sense of comfort too. Jesus has brought the victory. He's defeated sin, death and the devil. And the challenge for us is to remember that and to continue to serve him. Joshua now turns to the uh, flip side of their challenge to living as God's people. He's spoken about uh, good reasons to be motivated. God's looked after them, they can be confident in God, but now he starts to turn to the flip side and he speaks about the consequences of disobedience. And this is where, in a sense, the truth gets ramped up a little bit more in this passage and we move away from the idea of, of any feel-good stories, really. There's a warning against becoming like the nations in verses 12 to 13a. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. In fact, that kind of approach is going to result in hardship by creating future problems for the people. We'll pick that up in 13b. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now, none of this um, news about the consequences for disobedience uh, is actually radical for the people. It's not a surprising message that's being given here. God's word has already reminded them of God's faithfulness to bless and also to curse. I'll recall us back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 where Moses said, This day I call heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The risk for these people was that they were going to lose their distinctiveness. As God's people, they were supposed to be a light to the nations. Do you remember the time that Solomon had the Queen of Sheba come in? She found out about how wonderful God's laws were, how, how well the people were living uh, under God. 
And that was supposed to be the tone that God's laws were fantastic. If they had a a society where children obeyed their parents and uh, people didn't lie to each other, that people weren't killing each other, it would be a wonderful society in life. And so they were supposed to be a light to the nations, not to become like the other nations. Well, they risked losing that distinctiveness if they went and bowed down and worshipped the idols of the nations around them. The other problem would be that they would be faced with uh, raids from them if they didn't drive them out. And that would continue to undermine their standing as God's people. And so the message here is that they need to be a distinctive people and there's warnings against that. They were to be holy to the Lord, God's treasured possession. And the same common thread runs through God's word, that as Christians we're not to be uh, of the world, we're to be salt and light in the world, we're to be different from the world. We're not to be taken out of the world, it's not the pathway for us to be uh, you know, going into monasteries and cut off from the world. But we're supposed to be different. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Paul can also speak about the importance of marrying somebody who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. That it's actually important that both husband and wife serve the Lord together. In 1 Corinthians 7, Verse 39, he says, uh, if, if somebody, a spouse dies, he talks about that situation. He says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she chooses, but he must belong to the Lord. And so Paul's saying that it's important for people to be allied to the Lord, for husbands and wives to serve the Lord together. He wants his people to be steady and stable, continuing to live as salt and light in the world. Not to be taken out of the world, but to live differently from the world. Well, that brings us also back to Joshua chapter 23, with the good news and the not-so-good news in verses 14 to 16. Verse 14. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Well, it'd be almost nice to leave it there, wouldn't it? That that sounds pretty good. But it keeps going. Verse 15. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. So there's no real feel-good ending there, I'm sorry. Um, The take-home message is clear enough. God has been faithful And you know that he has. None of his promises have failed. But if you rebel, if you disown the Lord, if you forsake him, divorce him, then 
he will also be faithful to meet out his covenant curses. And he's saying to them, it's going to be dreadful. And so you better see this news ahead of time and come to terms with it now and decide in your heart that you're not going to walk away from the Lord because if you do, you will be punted from the good land. Now, as Christians, um, it might be tempting for us to look back on Israel and, you know, shake, wag our finger at them, say, oh, look at what they've done, uh, and have a little bit of a, you know, a heavy-handed look at them and be a bit judgmental. But we're actually warned in God's Word uh, not to take that approach to life. There's very much an emphasis in God's Word for me to look at my heart and to be critical of myself and to work out where I need to shape up and for you to do the same thing. And that's what Paul says to us in uh, Romans chapter 11 too. Uh, chapter 11, verse 19, he's, he speaks about how Israel's cast in this image of an olive tree and that certain branches are broken off, which are people who have walked away from the Lord. And he describes the Gentiles, people like us, as those who are grafted into this olive, olive tree. In verse 19 he says, You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Be alert, but not alarmed. Continue in God's kindness. We don't need to be alarmed. If we love the Lord, there's no problems. There's all of the assurance that all will be well. We've got a saviour. But if we don't continue with our faith in the Lord, if we don't heed this message and hold on to salvation in Jesus Christ as our Lord and saviour, there's no assurance given that's, that's good assurance. The assurance is otherwise you'll be cut off. And so the challenge for us is to, to feel the weight of those verses, to see the, the tone of those verses. It's, it's not a joke. Some things in life are jokes and there's plenty of humour, but this is more serious stuff and, and we do well to heed it. God's given us these warnings so that we continue to walk with him carefully. Well, a lot of life involves learning and some things can be learnt the hard way and some things can be learnt the easy way. We've seen today that Israel has uh, some way to go to retain the land and they risked having alliances with the other nations and losing their distinctiveness, leading them to uh, away from serving the Lord their God and to participate instead in worshipping other idols and gods. Well, we can learn from uh, their blunders, can't we? I learn a lot of things the hard way in life, but I've found that it's much less painful to learn things the easy way. And so as we uh, read Joshua chapter 23 today, let's, uh, let's learn from these warnings that the people of Israel needed to be a little bit alert, a bit cautious that they, that they were continuing to serve God. 
Uh, let's be those who are continuing in the kindness of God who's given us salvation through Jesus. So the take-home message, friends, is let's be alert but, but not alarmed. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Lord, we do give you thanks uh, for your word. We thank you that it's a means of grace uh, to help us uh, look at things in our life which might take us away from uh, serving you as our God. And we ask that you'd forgive us for the times when we have been rebellious. And we give you thanks for this image about us being a new creation in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. We pray that you'd help us to live up to that new calling. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be those who don't flirt with sin, but instead seek to put it to death. Lord, we thank you for the time we share together when we can encourage each other to, to love you and walk with you as our God. We thank you for days like today uh, when we can be challenged by these things in your word. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.